Hey, welcome to our podcast today. This is Coach EJ, the brand, and obviously Coach Aaron, the source. I <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it, love it, Aaron. Man, I'm, I'm excited today, Aaron, man. This guy, I've known this guy for 46 years, bro. And this guy is, uh, I love it. What bro, was that? But, but I must have known you since what? We were two, right? Well, now. Well, let's, <laughs> let, me, let me do the math right. 36 years, I'm sorry, right? Right, 46? Yeah. <laughs> there you go, I'm just joking. Anyway, with that said, man, this guy, I got a lot of respect for this guy in his business because he's been involved in this and he's really been at the forefront. Well, I, I call him the godfather of this stuff, man, because he was coming up with these great ideas before anybody else was really thinking about it. And uh, Aaron, I'm gonna let you introduce this guy. I got a lot of respect for this dude. Hey, yeah, it's been, we were just talking about, it. it's been 30 years. Uh, since I've known this gentleman, uh, he's been he was instrumental in me starting to work with baseball athletes, and, and I actually got uh, two of my first professional baseball athletes uh, from this guy. Um, he's a legend, like uh, EJ said, he's a godfather of of, of travel baseball. Uh, no one person, definitely on the West Coast, has been more instrumental in the development of what you guys see. For bad or worse, <laughs> uh, right? Raised, uh, travel right. baseball, and we're going to talk about his part in that, and and what he's done. And that's Rob Bruno. Uh, I do want to talk first about Rob Bruno's organization, NorCal Baseball. It's been the premier, one of the premier uh, travel baseball programs in the country since 1991. I mean, that's a long run, guys, if you think about it. Uh, they've had over 700 D1 athlete commits. They've had over, what, 20, 25 Major League Baseball first-round picks. Huh? Uh, 20, yeah, 25 first-rounders, uh, 64 big leaguers now. Yeah. There we go. See? So very storied program. Um, <clears throat> for those of you guys who might not know Rob, but know of his reputation, uh, he's, he's always got an opinion and always has something uh, to contribute to this sport. And I think uh, you got to turn up that volume if you're listening today. So without Thank further you. ado, Rob Bruno. Thank Rob. you, guys. As you know, I'm passionate and I'm I'm doing this from my car. I, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to be able to make it home, so I figured I'll, I'll pull over. Good, safe place. I'm in the 24-hour fitness parking lot. It's a great spot. So I do a lot of my best thinking in, in parking lots right before I head in and go ride the bikes. There you go. There you go. Well, what yeah. kind of car are you driving? So we're, hey, we're not, not 300. It's comfortable, Zach. I was about to say, so you're not slumming it in some, uh, you know, 1970 beater or something. <laughs> that seats don't recline in cold seats. Huh? No, no, but I'm, I'm closing in on 300,000 on this baby. There you, there you go. There you I've go. had 10 years. I actually just want to, you know, I want you to talk a little bit about NorCal. Give me that origin story and and and, and, and give me your origin story. Because oh. I think a lot of people know about NorCal baseball and the organization and what you guys have accomplished, but don't, but they don't really know where you guys have come from. And I think they need to know where you guys come from to be able to appreciate what you guys have really been able to do. Okay, so 91, fall of 91. Um, I was actually coaching uh, Pop Warner football, did a little high school football coaching too, but uh, I, I helped start Pony and Colt right, right in EJ's backyard with a couple guys, Don Johns, Chick Walsh and things, and we yeah. had just done 
with a 14-year-old all-star deal for Pony League. Um, a lot of the guys said, hey, you know what? I don't want to play college or excuse me, uh, high school football. And I'd like to keep playing. So we said, all right, let me, you know, and I got tired of the Pop Warner stuff and everything else. Baseball is my love for coaching. And we decided what we'd, we'd have a fall uh, program. And I'm telling you, that was so unusual at that point. I would call up all the different groups that we played. And I said, hey, we'd love to play against you in the fall. And they would invariably say, hey, we don't have a fall program, but Keith Ibiscovic, he's one of the first guys I picked up. Keith would love to play. He's a good player. So we started accumulating guys. Um, very, very, very few guys were playing fall ball. Just didn't happen. Our first game, I'll, I'll never forget our first workout. I don't know if you guys remember fall of 91, uh, Oakland Firestorm, Oakland Hills. Oh, yeah. 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 It was, hey, it was that day. We, I was across the bay. I looked over and I thought to myself, wow, there's another big one. Because uh, I remember the uh, the 71, uh, because my aunt and uncle, uh, they, they lost their house up in the Hiller Highlands in the Oakland Hills. So same house burned down, by the way. Uh, incredible. So anyway, we started there. Uh, great story. We go up to Yuba City about two or three weeks later. Um, and this was uh, late October. Ran into a guy named Bob Teal. Y- Yuba Sutter Rebels. Bob says, hey, great having you up here. We're 21 and 0. I said, that's great, Bob. We're, we're passing out uniforms today. So we, <laughs> we play him in a double header. They're throwing this kid named Bo Mitchell. I'll never forget. We go nine innings. Bo had to throw 150 pitches. There's no uh, no pitch smart, no pitch count. And we beat him three to two. And Bob said, you know, we're going to take a little bit of time in between. Well, about 25, 30 minutes later, up rolls this guy in a car. Some 18-year-old left-handed pitcher. Our guys, by the way, were 14 going on 15 six foot five lefty shows up <laughs> we, we we beat him one to nothing and i said well bob congratulations you're now 21 and two <laughs> <laughs> so we, we we had a lot of fun though a uh, bunch of great kids going forward uh you know we were lucky to have some amazing guys uh first year and, and here's here's the beautiful part about this uh we've got two or three guys including Cy simonton will mosley and a couple guys who were on that initial team in in the in the summer of '92? Well, they're coaching for me. Oh. They're 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 helping. They're running teams. It's it's amazing all the guys that have come back, uh, and it's it's heartwarming to think. Okay, we made an impression, and now you're coming back, and now you're giving back also. Yeah. So uh, it's been a full circle deal. Uh, you know, early we had you know like Pat Burrell. Patrick mm-hmm. was our '93. Uh, some, some some guy named Jimmy Rollins, 94, 95, Xavier Navy. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that, we, that's a good shortstop. We'll, we'll get a good shortstop next year also. Not quite the same. When you got a guy like Jimmy. Now, don't get me wrong. We had Troy Tulewiski, Brandon Crawford, Dustin right. Bedroy. But when you have a guy like Jimmy, who's the hardest guy I've ever met in my life, uh, it, it's pretty amazing. You know, guys like CeCe don't come along. Guys like... Dontrell don't just come along. We've been fortunate, though, that we've had the Ross brothers uh, who are just better people off the field than on the field. Uh, all kinds of great people. So that's that's what makes it great. Uh, EJ's been around this whole circuit, and he knows all the, all the guys you know that, that come back. And that we've had, like, 15 second-generation guys now, Tony and I. Tony's nice. been a huge part of the program since 95. He's uh, 
he's the left brain. I'm the right brain. He, he's the analytical guy, and and I'm the kind of the creative guy, and <clears throat> great ideas. And he'll top me off the ledge, and there's a happy medium in there, and so it works out great. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, hey Rob, you know, dive in here a little bit. Yeah. You know, I love I love your story. I think you know people need to know that where NorCal really started, and you know you've had so many great people that you've run into um i'm gonna dive into this a little bit uh the state state of the game a little bit aaron if we get oh, yeah. into this let's get into it now and um first first thing i want to talk about i want to talk about these analytics okay versus these guys be able to play in the game okay so you've got this whole analytical view and you've got this whole you know uh, subject. I'm going to say subjective, objective views right. in, in the game these days, and I think the game is really, you know, it's kind of going full circle again. This analytical thing to me is going to be thrown out the window in here about three or four years. You're going to decide that hey, when you know all this stuff goes out, it doesn't. It matters to a certain de- degree, but it doesn't. It's not the end all. And I think uh, there's been a bag of goods sold to the general public that analytical view of baseball is the way to go. And we're finding out that that's not true now. Three or four years, five years later, that's not the truth. I want I want you to kind of explain that a little bit and give your opinions about that. Lots of thoughts on it. Let's talk professionally first. Uh, professionally, uh, analytics, I think made a huge statement three or four or five years ago, started really coming in. Now, obviously, you can talk about Moneyball, uh, but I, I think we're in for like the stock market. I think we're in for a correctional change. Um, very interesting when you watch the World Series the last few years. When you get to the, the playoffs in the World Series, things change. They start playing the game a little bit different. Pitchers obviously are still going to be dominant, but now all of a sudden you don't have as many strikeouts. You got guys cut down on their swings with, with two strikes, with two outs, runners in scoring position. The teams that are winning are taking professional at-bats. They're, they're making contact. They're driving the ball gap to gap. They're not worried about a launch angle of 28 with exit box 107. They're trying to get a base hit. Uh, you see more sacrifice bunts. You see – now, here, here's the biggest thing. Guys don't steal in the regular season. Now, all of a sudden, they're stealing. Well, guess what? They can't hold runners on because they're not used to it. So, the game has really changed – when you see the playoffs in the World Series. Now, here's the key. How do you monetize a guy that hits the ball to the right side and move a guy over? How do you monetize a guy that puts down a bunt? How do you monetize a sack fly? How, how do you do that? And and it, it, that's money, again, is, is kind of the <laughs> a lot of this happens. Yeah, it's kind of funny, though, because we're seeing, um, you know, at the end of the day, when you, like you said, in the playoffs and the World Series, um, situational hitting, uh, solid defense, um, doing those little things or winning games. Look, the bombs and everything, it's great. Guys hitting home runs, it's great. But at the end of the day, uh, it's all about matchups. It's all about situational play. And the general public and parents out there, if you're listening, you need to listen to this because at the end of the day, whether you're a high school coach a college coach or a major league baseball and professional baseball, it's going to come down to that. And these guys, it's their jobs. They're going to do that. It's not going to be about, hey, listen, this exit velocity is this or whatsoever. He throws this hard. It's going to be about getting outs, 
getting wins and doing that. And that's how you get wins. One more thing about the uh, professional part in the World Series. Um, I am fortunate enough to call Dusty Baker a friend. I coached his son, DB, uh, for, for a few years. And what he did, uh, by the way, he has more analytics than, than you would ever think. He, he believes in it. But he also believes in knowing his players and his players playing as hard as they can for him. And his X's and O's are a lot different. His X's and O's are, he had guys starting going into the sixth or seventh inning when most guys are going in the fourth. He had a hunch. He felt like, this guy's hot. I'm going to let him go. Then he got to the bullpen. He had hunches also with guys that are playing. Uh, He's allowed to make decisions based on feel, based on his experience. And you can use those things and come up with a game plan. But guess what? Talking about at the end of the day, he knows a guy who's scuffling. He knows a guy who's coming with a bad injury, and he's going to treat it as such. And because of that, no question in my mind, that's why the Houston Astros were World Series champs. Yep, he basically outmatched the other guy at the end of the day. Look at it. Uh, Getting to the amateur part of it. If, if you start, and, and let's talk about even the youngest parts right now. Yes. With with the way things are with, with kids, and, and we've all seen this. We've all coached for a long time. Uh, I've coached for a long time, and I see 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds especially. And these kids, you don't know when they're going to mature physically. You see these kids, uh, a great story. Uh, we had Jock Peterson and uh, another guy, uh, Cody Slater. They both played on the same team. And Stu, uh, Jock's dad, was one of our coaches. And Stu was an eighth-grade coach. And, and I think Cody and Jock are about five foot three. And he says, hey, listen, guys, all you guys are 5'10 right now with mustaches. Doesn't matter. You think you think Cody and Jock are going to be shrimps all their life? Well, now, now look at Jock, six foot two, you know, put together. And Cody ended up six foot four. We right. don't know where it, where it starts, where it ends. A uh, good friend of mine, I, I think you, you know, uh, you remember Mitchell Cranston? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So Bob, Bob, <laughs> Bob was a good friend, and Bob yeah. was a great guy helping our program. Bob had the greatest line. I, I use it every week. Um, Mitchell was upset he didn't play on varsity at De La Salle. Well, we both know as a sophomore at De La Salle playing varsity, that's pretty tough. All his buddies on NorCal, well, they were the stars of their varsity team. Well, they're not quite De La Salle, right? So he says, Mitchell, you want to be first, first, or do you want to be first, last? Looked up and thought, hmm, I think I want to be first, last. He worked, got his, you know, worked his butt off, was an EBAL player of the year, uh, got a nice scholarship to Cal, uh, got got two or three years in pro ball, and now he's living life and doing a great job. But moral of the story, we don't know where these guys are going to end up. And if we start looking at, well, this guy's throwing 78 and he's an eighth grader, who cares? Uh, great example, probably the best example, Robert Stevenson. And Robert Stevenson threw about 78 to 80, 81, uh, as well as Joe Ross. Uh, when they were freshmen, they were on the B team. They were on the B team. Well, three years later, they're throwing 96, 97. And by golly, they're, they're, they're drafted $2.8 million, $2 million. Uh, we don't know. We can't put limits on kids. And if we do, shame on us. Uh, we don't know where they're going to be. So we have to have an eye. We have to have experience. And we have to have something to go on from there. If we just look at stats and look at measurables and numbers, 
boy, we're going to be sadly mistaken. Yeah, I think, you know, what you said is, you know, and you said these two guys, and I know both guys very well. I see Robert every day. But their work ethic is, is, is is so great. And I think that says a lot in terms of all these young players out there, if you're listening, you may be 13, 14, you may not be the biggest dude, but you can have the biggest heart and work your butt off and get where you need to be. And don't let anybody really tell you you can't do it. Just keep working hard at it and keep on doing what you should do and stop stop buying into what what the general public thinks is your box. Get out of the box and, and move forward. Eric, do you remember uh, Daniel Nava? Yes, I do. So Daniel Nava moved from Pueblo, Colorado when he was 14 to the Bay. He was five foot two. He tries out and I said, you've got great skills. You really do. You're just not quite strong enough for what we do, but don't let me tell you to not play the game. You keep going. I was one of the first guys that said, Daniel, uh, not quite, not quite yet. And he probably got cut eight times. Now that includes uh, going to Santa Clara University as a freshman, gets cut, becomes the team manager. Right. In and out stuff, right? Goes back to Mission College, plays two years, transfers back to Santa Clara. Now, who does that? Transfers back to the place you got cut from. Transfers back, uh, starts a little bit more, uh, more his thir- his junior year. He's all conference his senior year. Doesn't get drafted. Does not get drafted. Signs independent ball. Two or three years later, he's signed by an affiliate, Boston Red Sox. Two years later, now this this guy kept growing. He didn't stop growing until he's 2021. 20, right. Years later, he's in the big leagues. Big leagues, he gets there. The, the hitting coach literally says, bases loaded, go up there. We don't know how long you're going to be up here. First pitch you see that you like, swing. Hit the grand slam. <laughs> this guy's been cut eight different times. Never, never took no for an answer. Hit the grand slam in the big leagues. If they wrote the script for Disney, nobody would believe it. Right. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. That's a great story. Yeah. yeah. Great story. That's uh that's really interesting. Hey Rob, where are we uh, you know, here we are 20 almost in 2023. Yep. Where are we going in in the college game? Let's talk a little bit of college baseball a little bit. Talk a little bit about, and I think this is a good subject to all those high school players out there that are really, you know, trying to get scholarship. And there's a thing called the transfer portal now. Yep. And and talk about how good you need to be to play college baseball now um, and the competition that's out there. Because I think we saw so many twits, uh, tweets and so many things on Instagram about I've been committed and this and that. And we know what that means. It means nothing until you sign a letter of intent. And then it doesn't mean anything until you get on the field and prove it. So can we talk a little bit about that? So we just had a young man and I... I wish I would have been able to speak to him. He played for us. Uh, didn't play full time, but he played for us. He uh, they asked him to redshirt, and he's a freshman. He's going to a terrific school, great academic kid. And uh, they asked him to redshirt. And he decides, nah, I want to go play. I want to go. I'm going in the portal. He should have stayed. Uh, but here, here's the thing: the landscape has changed the last three to four to five years. And again, it's part of partially a COVID thing, partially NCAA rules. Uh, the NCAA has very little teeth anymore in what they can and can't do. Uh, it's embarrassing. Uh, with the NIL, uh, all this stuff. So you now have fifth and sixth year guys 
playing at, at the Division One, Two, II, and Three levels. You've got 21-year-olds playing at junior college. Uh, things have changed tremendously. Um, again, we've had a great record on moving our guys along, but that being said, our philosophy is changing, and it's changing to this. And, and again, we just had a, a huge uh, commit to an STC school the other day for a, a 25, and we've got about four 25s that are big-time places, and, and that's great. They'll always be a spot for guys that are playing top 25 schools, right? right. The normal people. The normal. normal people, what you need to do is absolutely find a place that you're going to be happy with where you're going to make a great 40-year decision. Everybody talks about four-year decisions, uh, making a great school choice. It's not that. It's it's That school choice has got to be exponentially who you become after you graduate. A 40-year decision. Right. You go to a school that if you didn't play baseball, this would be a great place to get a great education. You might meet your wife there. All the alums and everything else. It's more important to find a great fit as a person than, than a baseball player. If Absolutely. you're making a top 20 list, if any of those schools are, are in your top 20 that you really want to go to, if any of them are, you wouldn't go there if you didn't have baseball there, you cross it off. Uh, these days, you got to find the fit. You also uh, need to do a great job in the classroom. Academically now, 3.5 gets you some kind of money, 3.75 gets you more, 4.0 gets you more. A lot of these places now you can combine and yes. because of that you've got to do a great job literally an eighth grade base foundation to do a great job starting ninth grade from day one so that you have a wonderful gpa uh, those things are much more important now uh, finding a great fit also with with a program you, one of the greatest things uh and again i i bash perfect game a lot of these guys actually are personally my friends but what one of the things they've got online eric and, and i know you know this but uh they've, they've got schools that list all their commits right and what you need to do is go in there and find out if you're a catcher for instance and they've already got a catcher and you're 24 and they're 24 why would you even bother spending time there um so you've you got to find out who has needs where you fit what's your criteria whether it's your major whether it's area Whatever the case is, find out the best fit for you, and that's great. Uh, here's the other part. If you've got a school that's bringing in 50 guys, and there's a lot. There's Texas Techs and some other places. Uh, they're bringing in 50 guys for 35 spots. That's a problem. That's a problem. A lot of these guys overcommit, bring guys in. And this month and this last month, there's some really tough exit meetings after fall ball yes. uh, it's up it's ugly and we tell our guys you've got to do your due diligence uh, so tony and i talk more about where you are as a fit and where where you've got a, a a coach that's going to nurture you that actually cares that's actually going to help develop you know i i had a school i, I got on a little bit uh, they they decommitted a guy and they they what they really did was try to save money they actually gave them too much money. They didn't ask us what our thoughts were. They just did it because they saw him hit a couple rocket shots in a game. Well, they, they didn't do their due diligence. If they would have watched, we could have said, wasn't quite ready, uh, great kid. But once you commit that, head, because for them, it's, they don't care. 
they can just you know decommitted. It's a one-way street. Uh, and what they should have done is ask us, number one. Number two, okay, you, you didn't see him good after that? Guess what? What happened about developing? These guys want a ready-made product, and honestly, that's crap. College coaches need to learn how to develop, need to learn how to teach. That's why they're there. So you got to really be careful. You, you've got to really do your due diligence, trust people that, that really know, have some experience. And even then, you never know. Yeah. I like that ready-made uh, comment because I see a lot of that now in that game in the NCAA game. It's yeah. like they're going, "Hey, is this guy ready to play?" Uh, no, he's not ready to play yet, but he will be. The speed of the game is the biggest thing I see from a high school player, even from a JC player, going to the level that they're going to. Depending, as the speed of the game just increases every time, every year you you move on, you move to the next level. Speed of the game, speed of the game, and that's a determining factor. If you will stay and flourish at that level, can you handle the speed of play, more or less? You know, the mentally, skill development and all that mentally, stuff. And you got to develop that. Yeah, mentally and physically. There's right. a reason why Aaron's name for his business is Game Speed. Right. Game Speed. Um, another guy that taught me that a long time ago playing Game Speed or Overspeed oh, is Jerry yes. Weinstein. Uh, smart, smart, smartest man in the game. Uh, he's a great follow uh, on Twitter also. Great. Uh, he, he's incredible. Just incredible. And you have to practice at game speed, but you have to be ready at game speed. You have to have that physicality also. Um, if, you, if you're not bigger, better, faster, stronger, along with tools, you're going to get left behind because now, as an 18-year-old, you're competing against 22-year-old men. Right. Uh, professionally, when you play, uh, going from Santa Barbara into pro ball, now you're going against 24-year-olds, 25-year-olds, and yeah. they don't really care about you. They don't care. It's it's competition. And if you're not right in the mind, as you know, and then you got to get right with your body, you're, you're not going to succeed. Eric, if you, you also found uh, Sean Dunstan told me a great thing. Uh, we, we would sit. I go down to spring training and he's such a homebody. Yes, uh, he, he's out, and so he and I would go out for four or five hours, sit at a restaurant, have, have a meal, but drink iced tea and talk. He said, I'll tell you about pro ball. You tell me about amateur ball so I can help Junior, who's uh, still getting after it, still working at it. And I love right. that kid. And so the thing that he told me that that you know instinctively, um, that when you're playing minor league baseball, your competition is not in the other dugout. It's to your left and to your right because they're trying to take your job. Right. Absolutely. You can have said anything better. It, I mean, it is such com- – people don't understand what how competitive is – at the professional level, you know, they, they think, hey, man, you're playing against a team, the other team that, you know, another dugout wrong. You're playing against guys next to you. It's about people's jobs. So um, that's a great comment, too. And it gets it gets super competitive. And I think in the mindset of an athlete, if you're training, you need to understand that. Yeah, Aaron, what you have? yeah I want you just mentioned something that I've been thinking about. Uh, you just talked about, you know, Sean Dunstan asking you about, hey, you know, what do I do for my kid? And we, yes. a lot of our podcasters are in that situation where they've got that sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader. And yeah, what would be your advice to those parents and how they start to navigate this whole thing? Uh, because like you said, a whole lot of money could be spent uh, doing a lot of things that aren't going to benefit their athlete. And they're also, they're not going to 
really get the most out of what, you know, baseball and travel baseball has to offer. So what would be a few things that you'd advise, you know, the parent that, hey, my kid wants to play. He's just starting out. What do I do? I'm going to uh, throw out a couple cliches because they're true. Control the controllables. Here's what you can control. Who he works with. Find people that are great, uh, that care about your kid, that have your best interests. Don't just go take lessons to take lessons. I think uh, 95% of the kids that, that, that go take hitting lessons will never hit. Now, 90% for pitching, same thing. Find people that that are great to be around. That That's one of the biggest things. Find a, find a local area where he can play games and get his reps. But nothing takes the place of getting reps also on your own or practicing on your own, number one. Number two, my job for a lot of times is to tell my parents 80% of the time, no. Tell them no. Camps, clinics, everything else. Find a mentor, find somebody that's been around that has your best interests at heart to do that. Now, the next part is this. If you want to go to a camp, you want to go to uh, any kind of showcase, and a showcase for sure. Uh, what you need to do, and, and even if you want to commit, you need to be able to get close enough to where I can see myself going out on that field and competing with those college guys. Like tomorrow, I can go out there. Too many guys go as 7th, 8th, and ninth graders, get their 7.5 PG rating or PBR or whatever it is. That's worthless. Make sure when you go to anything, that first impression is a lasting impression. Make sure that you're ready to go physically. Yes. Uh, going to yes. waste of time is probably going to hurt you. Yes. <laughs> so that's yes. One of the, uh, num- number two, again, you've got to be able to compete at that next level before you commit. If you commit too early, boy, there's a lot of projection there. But, man, sadly mistaken most of the time. So th- those are a couple of things right there. Good. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing, and this is just kind of about travel baseball yep. overall. I mean, you've been at, at its in, onset and its evolution, and there's been a lot of good and bad things over the years. And, um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about before is that um, I think travel baseball has also affected baseball at the higher levels. And here's where I'm going with this. Um Back in the day when power throwing was just being developed. Yep. That was developed for the travel baseball guys. And that kind of got adopted by college and and then the pros. They weren't yep. doing that sort of thing. And, I, and you can say, well, a lot of that has to do with maybe, you know, the monetary side of it. Yep. Um, and in that, you know, but I remember... You know, a lot of the things that we were doing, they weren't doing in the big leagues, but now it's kind of mainstream. And I, I it's funny because I kind of smile and say, hey, you know what? This is one of the positive things that has really helped baseball at the higher levels, but actually started because you always think of everything going top down. Right. This is actually something that started from the bottom up. Aaron, you were doing this two decades ago between you uh, your thoughts, Jerry's thoughts, uh, Tony's thoughts and things. We developed a, a power throwing thing that that yep. is pretty much 90% of what everybody does. Exactly. Two right. decades. Uh, I mean, I remember I remember you working with these guys 
uh, you know, that are, you know, Josh and, and all these guys. And, and it, it was incredible. Chris Brewer was probably the first one. Yeah. Chris Brewer, uh, Josh Butler. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and of course, if Chris was on a better throwing program when he got to the Reds, he'd have been an all-star. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, Josh did get to the big leagues. So those, those are good things. Uh, well, but the problem with it now is we're incorporating some things. And again, we learned uh, going forward, we learned some things. We learned that if you're 14, 15, 16 year olds, uh, we're not going to have you do a lot of twisting exercises with heavy stuff because we have some uh, low, lower back issues, right? So you live and you learn, you keep going. The biggest challenge I've got now is, is some guys are, artific- and I call it artificially inflating a little bit their velocity by doing some things. Heavy balls is, is another one. I don't think you should do heavy balls when your growth plates are wide open. Yeah. Uh, I too many challenges. What does it do? It opens up your shoulder capsule and you can lay your arm back and by golly, yeah, you can throw harder. Uh, return on investment? I don't know. Risk reward? I don't know. Too many guys are having surgeries because of that. Uh, I truly believe that. And and so uh, we there are some great things that have happened like that that have taken it forward. Driveline made it pretty. They made it cute. Uh, but stuff that you were doing uh, was absolutely more one-on-one stuff, more caring about not just velocity, but arm care. Getting bigger, say, better, faster, stronger. Alan, yeah. And Alan Jager was a big part of uh, Huge part. what we were doing. Yeah. yeah. Part. I got to talk to Alan yesterday. And, yeah, you know, when you, when you get to talk to guys like you and Alan and AJ, um, all, all on the forefront, um, that's what it's about. And, you know, getting back to what I'm doing, I, I've got three or four more years in this stuff. And my, my whole goal is to have a little bit of a correction in, uh, in the course that we're taking, uh, get back to some normalcy, get back to what matters and helping kids. And that means helping all kids. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a great example. And we've this whole quote unquote travel ball thing. And I hate, I hate that. I think it's a negative connotation. And my definition of travel ball is literally on wheels. Um, that's that's yeah. really what um uh but we've left a segment uh, of our our baseball society uh we, we we've left them in the dust because it, it costs too much yeah it costs too much to play um you know it's never been a problem with our guys uh, because one of the things that tony and i talk about is we will never preclude anybody from playing because of finances well this becomes a huge industry and it costs a lot i know some groups go across the country four or five times a year that's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, guys, I'll tell you, a, a guy that's just doing some uh, great work is, is Tyson Ross. Oh, yeah, Tyson Ross. Program loyal to my soil. And yes, yes. For work that's on, yep. I, I want to uh, use you guys also, Aaron, as a drop-off. Uh, after high school, or excuse me, after Christmas, we're doing a, uh, a an equipment drive. And throughout uh, the Bay Area, throughout Northern California and Central California, we have about 10 different locations uh, where we're going to drop off all kinds of equipment so guys that need it can get it. But what Tyson's doing also is he's got a bunch of guys that are helping out, uh, some young pro guys, different people, where he's giving back to the community, free, just free workouts, free practices, just getting around it so, so kids love baseball to love baseball. And I, I, I think that's missing in our community. We spend so much time wasting hundreds and thousands of dollars going to big league dreams uh, and then going to Florida for a World Series for nine-year-olds. Do you know that that perfect game has nine and under national rankings? Why is that? 
Why is that? Does that does that mean anything? Because we know that nine-year-olds will never change, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they're going to stay the same, and same guys are going to be the same guys. Right. Uh, I don't even understand it for 13, 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds. I don't get it. I just don't get well, that. There, I don't. There's two rankings that matter. There's two. Uh, the, the college that signs you to a letter of intent and right. the pro team that drafts you. Those are the only two rankings that matter. All the other one is superfluous crap that's really uh, driven to raise money for subscriptions. That's all it is. So, again, I do have a, a little bit of an opinion on this. <laughs> well said. I, I happen to agree with that. Being in being this, uh, not as long as you have, but being in this for quite a bit. Is, yeah. It's, and, and, and parents out there, you need to listen because, you know, our company, NorCal, I know we're about player development and player development's huge. And that, that encompasses all levels. And player development means the betterment of the player, trying to help the player get where they need to be. And that's so important in this nature. It's not about what tournament you went to, what you win. At the end of the day, hey, and Rob and I can attest to this. We got a whole bunch of trophies and plaques. They don't mean anything. They just collect dust and I throw them all away at the end of the day. I don't they have one. Thing. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the memories that count and the people that you meet and how you grow that person individually. It's it's absolutely, uh, it's it's the journey. And uh, I honestly don't have one. We always give ours away to uh, the team managers, the bat boy, the brothers, somebody on the road. And it's, it's kind of fun. We, we, we make a little joke of it. We have a lot of fun. Uh, but you're, you're right. And, and what the problem is I see also, is at the higher levels with 13, 14, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, there's two factions. And, and we call it, for our guys, we want OKG. We want our kind of guys. And that's what we're looking for. And, and I don't think it's old school. Um, there's two different factions. There's there's groups that accumulate chess pieces that, okay, we're going to go to this event to get ranked. That's pretty much what it is. And what we're about, what you're about is – we're going to teach you how to play the game the right way and teach you how to win. And teaching you how to win, part of that is playing the game the right way, but learning how to be a great teammate. Best compliment we could give in our program, you're a great teammate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, all these championship teams, whether in any sport that you know, they said that guy's a great teammate, that guy's a great leader, this guy held up. It's all about accountability and about how you care about your teammates. They, guys talk about that when they're, you know, they win they win their big prize, what, whatever sport it is, and they talk about that. That's so, so, you know, Eric, to their heart. Eric, two know, things with that. What do you miss the most about playing? And my, my guess is, that those road trips with the guys in the locker room, being around like-minded people, just talking. Yes. Period. Yeah. yeah. Period. We're talking about great Period. teammates, uh, guys that make huge, uh, you know, investments. The I think the reason why, the only reason why the Dodgers won a couple of years ago was Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts came in and said, "I'm a winner." Didn't have to say it. Get on my back. I'm going to take you guys to this. And he was the consummate professional, consummate winner. And I think there's no no question in my mind, without Mookie Betts, those guys don't win. Hey, can I can I tell you this is interesting? The five tools stood out. Speed, stealing bases, base running, okay? Playing defense, okay? Throwing to the right base. Situational hitting with Mookie. Yep. Um, 
be able to hit, hit with power, yep. be able to throw. I mean, all those tools stood out and he utilized those tools and he's not the biggest guy on the field, but he has the biggest part. No, he's a, uh, he is absolutely the constant winner. He's my favorite player. Yeah, I love uh, him too. I and there's him. no question. He learned it in Boston, took it with him. And that's why the Dodgers won. Uh, you see all these teams, uh, New York Yankees, there's not, and they, they don't, they, what, and, and hopefully my, my guess is that judge becomes that, that leader, that kind of thing. He, he, I know guys that have coached him at, uh, Pat Ware's a friend of mine coaching the Fresno State, says he's one of the most amazing guys. But the reason why the Yankees won way back was like, was the captain, Derek Jeter, Absolutely. guys like that led them. They, they led them. There, there's, there are winners that make differences. How, why do you think the Warriors win? Steph. Steph Curry. Steph, Steph Curry is one of the greatest people you're ever going to meet. And he never talks about it, but his actions say everything. Uh, consummate winner. And so then you see guys, you know, that are unbelievable players, you know, like 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 Hardy or any any Westbrook. Right. These guys, they don't win. They don't win. Right. Guys like guys like Steph win. By the way, the, you know the Warriors. You know who the Warriors are missing most? I'm a Warrior fan. That's who they're missing most. It's not. It's not. It's not uh, KD either. It's Mike Brown. Oh, Mike yes. Brown, coach himself. He's the guy in the background. I'm not a true fan. I'm telling you, Brown is the guy that was their glue, and he he ran that defense for them. That's why they're missing. They're missing that big time. Mike Brown yeah. is great. I I, I miss <laughs> Mike Brown. I'm a I, diehard Warrior fan. I go back to Clifford Ray and. And Phil Smith and Butch Beard and you know all those guys back in the day and, and Rick Barry and yeah. and Mullins and 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 all those guys. And, and you know this, Rick was a heck of a golfer. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, of you course. know the. Well, what else, guys? Well, I tell you, we're almost out of time. Okay. okay. And I, I don't know if it's on your guys' side. But I'm getting starting to get some lag. Are you guys getting some lag? Um, no, I got you a little bit about 10 minutes ago, but it came out. All okay. right, Eric. Good, well, we're probably doing pretty good then. Let's just take a couple more minutes. Um, if you got the time, you got the time? Okay. I'm here. Cool. Um, I, I'd say, you know, what would you like to see happen with, um, with travel baseball or just baseball in general? I know you alluded to it more access you know, for, for more athletes. That was definitely a, a great point. And, we, and we've talked about that before. Um, what about in terms of just the structure of how things are done? And, you know, maybe, you know, if you could take a magic wand or you were king of, you know, you were dictator of travel baseball, what would be your mandate? I'd get rid of this, all right? You know, institute Okay, this. well, there's a lot of things. That, here's, some, here's some things that I would keep. Um, I had the best summer I've had in a decade, uh, the COVID summer. And I know that sounds crazy, but we pretty much rented out uh, a field, uh, Mislin, the Mislin fields the whole year, um, the whole summer. And we practiced uh, like our top couple teams in our 22 class. They just practiced against each other. Not, not a lot of, you know, first base, third base coaches. They just got after it, and they got reps, and they played, and they played, and they played. Four days a week, we'd be out there for three or four hours at a time. And they just got after it, and they got reps. They got incredibly, exponentially better. Uh, during that time, right before, we told them, all you got to do is go to Zoom class for high school, go to Zoom, eat twice as much, live twice as much, 
and sleep a whole bunch. We made more strides with those kits uh, than, than we've ever done. Yeah. More, uh, more in a squad. Uh, it, it, it was absolutely fantastic. What we're going to do more this summer is we're going to inner squad a lot more with our top groups. We're going to get after it. Uh, more practice time. Um, when you go to these tournaments and all you do is you play, you don't work on anything. You, you work on nothing. And what happens is you don't even get to take it in and out. You, you, if, when you take ins and outs, that's like practice. You know yeah. where to throw the ball. You know where, where a cutoff man is. All those things are important. Um, I would prefer, and, and, and we're going to do this, playing EJ's team in a doubleheader, get there, take a little BP, whether it's on or off the field, take a pregame, go play 12 innings in a row. If we want to stop and correct something, we stop and correct something. Oh, by the way, we could have a 12 out, 12 o'clock start. The stupidest thing in the world is going 40 minutes to a tournament, playing at a game that you're supposed to play at 7 in the night, and you don't get started till nine because of backups. And then, oh, by the way, you lose that game. You got to come back for an eight o'clock. That's ridiculous. Thank we have you. to control our own destiny and do a better job with that. Uh, having a local league, and we're working on that. You know, five or six like-minded teams. Uh, we like want to find the people. I like and that idea. To have a have a local thing. Uh, maybe we do like a Wednesday, Thursday. Thing, uh, we're going to start doing this where it's like open field. Come out, get work. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if you're with us or without us. Doesn't matter what team you're on. Get work. There's like-minded guys. EJ's like that. Uh, my guy, uh, Dyron and Alec, for, you know, the, the guys from the Admirals and those guys, uh, Lance, Franks, uh, Chico. You know, we got some good people. We've got some good people. And, we, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we say, you know, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, first of all, it's going to save money. It's going to save time. And we're going to get better because we're going to work more. It's about reps. Yeah. You don't get that when you're running out to Big League Dreams or Twin Creeks, worst place in the world. Um, in those places, you're sitting around. You're, you're getting no reps. You're going to hit three times. So you're going to spend 6 or $7 to get in, even the coaches. What is mm-hmm. that? It's, it's it's getting it's 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 so out of control now. And, and 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 pay a lot of money to get in pay a lot of money for the fee it makes no sense the only people benefiting at all are tournament directors makes no sense got to get back to the players like yes sir like that local in and out in and out repetition create create situations create things where players can get better you know, and you know, we just stopped playing so many tournaments, man. It's bottom yeah. line. We just stopped playing it. And and I, I'm gonna say I'm tired of the competition. I mean, it's just like what are we doing here? It's not we're not getting any better. You know, we're not we need to play like-minded people. I'm big in that. Play like-minded people, yeah. stop the game, teach, because that's the only way they're gonna learn how to play these days. This other stuff's not we learn it. Oh yeah, hour and forty-five minutes, game's over. What you didn't play? You played four innings. The game is over. Uh, I'm tired. Well, here's the other thing. Now they they use the pitch smart deal, right? So pitch smart. So you're playing on a Saturday and Sunday. You stop at what twenty four pitches or whatever it is. Right. You can't get to twenty five. You can do that four times in a game. You waste about twenty five minutes. I mean, what what good is that? How about just a guy throw Saturday, then he doesn't throw on Sunday. That's one of them. But it's uh, the I love games, but have games with more like-minded people. Have one umpire. 
make you know make one umpire nobody cares uh and you know i'll tell you what we do in a lot of those things we don't have base runners or excuse me base coaches we have no base coaches uh if you're on second base yes, you have to try and score every time the ball's in the outfield these are situational things there's no ramifications but you got to learn and if you don't start learning instincts well you're not gonna be able to play the game everything is so micromanaged that is taken away from that eric I, I i used to watch you in little league and senior league and high school and stuff i mean your your biggest thing first of all you were talented but second of all uh your instincts are off the charts uh and 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 that's what made you special um i think we're we're coaching instincts out of the game agreed oh agreed. that's a great i, I great think agreed 100 percent great statement because i see that from a training side yeah <laughs> i see that from a training side right and, and and we talk about me and ej talk about how kids don't have uh the ability to improvise and adapt and adjust and you know if it if it things don't happen in a certain sequence they don't know how to respond Aaron, do you find that kids uh, can't organize their body enough like they used to? Oh, all the time. I, I Most of my work is spent teaching the ABCs of movement than, than right. anything else. And and that's not to 8, 19-year-olds. That's to 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Yeah. Wow. The, the one thing, Aaron, that I always, uh, I, I always appreciated when you worked with our guys is that your best work was with our pitchers. Um, here you were a, a national sprinter, uh, world-class guy, uh, 10.0200, if I recall correctly, and held, held a record for age group at one point. But your best work, I thought, was with some of our best pitchers, teaching them how to be more athletic down the hill. We didn't get into mechanics, per se, but being more athletic down the hill. And Tony, to this day, uh, mimics that. Uh, it's if, if your body moves down the hill efficiently, you're going to be that much better. Your, your, your arm is always going to catch up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Learn, the, the body will learn to organize itself. Yes. But yeah, what I see, though, is because, you know, our sport's been monetized. Guys need something to sell. So it even goes back to the whole metrics thing. The whole metrics thing, I think, is driven off of we need something that we can package and deliver to somebody so that justifies paying for it. Right. And, and and it's the same thing with a lot of these things that have come out now. Guys want to package, you know, the velocity of this. They guys want to package this fielding. They want to package this hitting. And they don't look at the individual idiosyncrasies of what an athlete looks like. I mean, to yep. me, I will say this. Speed looks different on everybody. I think hitting looks different on everybody. Pitching will look different on everybody because not everybody is the same. Everyone is going, yeah, there's some certain commonalities that you're gonna want those athletes to have, those checkpoint things that are gonna make an athlete more successful, but it'll right. look different on everyone. You know, Dontrell Willis, well, Willis doesn't look like Tyson Ross. Well, <laughs> you know, but the results the same. You know how we got that motion? Great story. Dontrell used to play strikeout against kids one-on-one -on -one and with a tennis ball against the garage door. Well, he, he was getting lit up when he was like eight or nine years old. So he came up with this crazy deceptive motion with his leg kick. And that's how we got <laughs> it. Now, now here's- Love it. Part. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Love it. 
So he's playing for us, and we're uh, we're, we're in a practice, and I had a pitching coach, uh, Mike Tuck. I was talking to yep. Coach uh, John Mike. the other day, and Mike says, I'm going to fix him. And I said, Mike, if you touch him, I will fire you. <laughs> and, and so he, he didn't, uh, but jo- John and I were laughing about that. We had lunch about a month ago uh, because, you know, it, is, is it uh, normal? No. Uh, did he uh, repeat? And was it athletic? Absolutely. And so that's what made him unique. How you get to and, – and EJ does the same thing with hitters. Uh, how you get – got to do A, B, and C. How you get there is how your body is. Right. Exactly. And that's, and that's what we talk about a lot of is because kids don't play, everything is, is structured. So, you know, the parent takes the kid at five, six years old – all right, he has an interest in baseball. Boom, I'm going to put him right in T-ball. Right. You know, but why not give him that T or go out and play with them out in the field or encourage them to play with the kids in the neighborhood and just develop some of those things naturally? I mean, three flies up, you know, pickle, all of those things, wiffle ball, all of those things we played as kids throwing the ball against the garage door. I did that for hours when I was a kid. You know, so it's so funny. I listened to you about Dontrell Wellis and how he developed that kick. Well, those are things we're talking about, people, that help you learn to organize your body and and acquire that repertoire of, of athletic movements and skills that you just can't get in a sterile, okay, plant your foot here, turn your hips here, keep your head here sort of environment. But that's what happens is that that side of it is, is so easy to say, hey, I'll put my kid in this versus, hey, go out in the back. Here's a, a Nerf ball and, you know, go to it. Throw the ball up and try and hit it. You know, um, how, about, how about this one? When we were playing and we were playing against each other and uh, you might close the, like, the, one of the fields off because you didn't have enough guys. Right. What we would do is we would imitate great hitters i mean yeah. I, I, would, I was uh right-handed i i mean you know joe morgan i i do that 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 elbow flap yeah, yeah that's, right. that's right and then uh, a guy a guy that ej's very familiar with who's a good friend of all of ours uh who's become famous for that is gar Rhinus, uh batting stance guy gar Rhinus is the funniest guy i've ever met in my yes. life ceremony yeah. valley little league uh, but he, batting stance guy, he he is an amazing on how he imitates guys. That left-handed, right-handed, everything else. Right. But things, some of the things that we learned best was we imitated Juan Marichal, yeah. leg kick. All yeah. those things made us better because of those things. And and it's we we've taken that all that we've kind of sterilized everything. Yes. Yes. Mm, too much. Too much. Yeah. So let's let's get back to some of that. Now there are some great things we can we can build on good quality things, but let's get back to some things that that helped everybody. And, and a great example, uh, EJ, how many how many hitting lessons uh, did you ever take when you were a kid? The answer is none. Cleve would get in there and throw to you, nice. and, and that got better. How many lessons do you think any of those Dominican guys or Puerto Rican guys are were, were taken when they're eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, Zero. thirteen? Yeah. But, but how many reps did they get? A thousand. <laughs> thousands. Thousands of reps and reps thousands. and reps. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so how are we how can we duplicate some of that? That's I think 
that's one of the things. And, and we're going to do a little experimenting with some of that open fields, that kind of thing this summer. You got to play. You got to get yeah. on the field. It's in the dirt. I've said this forever, and this is why we don't spend a lot of time practicing indoors. And I've always believed in practicing outdoors, and I had only used the indoor facility when it's raining. Right. Get on the field it's in the dirt it's you know you know it's it's true there's a lot of truth in that and baseball's played that way you've got to be on a field to get out there and, and experience uh, the feeling of playing no doubt no doubt i i'm with you aaron i think this kind of wraps up uh one of our great heavy hitters rob bruno here today aaron and uh so 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 always a pleasure for me personally to just spend some time with rob and and, and he already has to say man the godfather you know, the godfather of soul baseball. I love it, man. Great, man. Great, great to have you, Rob. Love it, man. In our in our series here, the heavy hitters, Aaron. Love it, man. And I'm going to take us out right now and just say, hey, this is the brand, Coach EJ. And this is Aaron Thickman, the source. Rob, loved it. Appreciate yes, you. Sir. And uh, we got to catch up soon. Get it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank All you. Right.